gold standard. Welcome to the Dr. Hedberg Show for cutting-edge practical health information. For the latest articles, videos, and podcasts, visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com. The information in this show is intended for educational purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional before attempting anything recommended in this program. And now, here's Dr. Hedberg. Well, welcome everyone to the Dr. Hedberg Show. This is Dr. Hedberg. And in today's episode, I'm going to be talking about the connection between infections and Hashimoto's disease, or what I call the infection connection. Hashimoto's has many triggers, as you know. These include things like iodine, low birth weight, pregnancy, smoking, mercury, certain medications, stress, leaky gut syndrome, environmental toxins, and of course, infections. So I'm going to focus on those today and just kind of give you an update uh, for early 2018 and uh, talk a little bit about some of these infections and uh, how they're connected to Hashimoto's. So this is something that I've been investigating since about 2005, and that was when I first learned the connection between Yersinia enterocolitica and Hashimoto's disease, and since then, it's just been a fascinating area for me, not just the infection connection with Hashimoto's, but with other autoimmune diseases and illnesses as well. So the vast majority of the patients I see with Hashimoto's, they do have some kind of active infection. And that's something that is usually overlooked, um, probably one of the most overlooked aspects of Hashimoto's disease. The only other thing up there is, as far as things that are overlooked would be childhood trauma, childhood adversity. I think those two things infections and early adverse life events are usually the most overlooked aspects of Hashimoto's. All the other things like uh, gluten and diet and uh, all those kinds of things are usually already already have been addressed or being addressed by the patients I see that that have Hashimoto's and but no one's ever really taken a hard look at at infections and early adverse life events, or even adverse life events as an adult. So why do infections trigger Hashimoto's? There are a few immunological explanations, and I'm not going to get into the details of that here um, because it's very technical. And I can give you a few examples. One is called molecular mimicry. And molecular mimicry, it just basically means that the infection, it looks similar to your own thyroid tissue. So your immune system attacks the microbe and the tissue that looks like the microbe. And in some cases, that's the thyroid. And again, Yersinia enterocolitica, it's a classic example of that connection. There are a number of other mechanisms. These are things like... um, and these are technical terms, but release of sequestered antigens by cell destruction or apoptosis, exposure of cryptic epitopes, uh, bystander mechanism resulting in activation of resident T cells. 
I've got a link to a uh, research paper on this particular article if you want to research those mechanisms at a deeper level. If you have a, but you really need a scientific background, some kind of training in immunology to really, really understand it. Uh, but molecular mimicry is one example, and then another example is just a, a simple one would be um, like the Epstein Barr virus or the human herpes virus six residing inside of the thyroid gland, and that triggers immune activation against the virus and the thyroid as well. So that's another way that it it can trigger it. So Lyme disease is a potential trigger for Hashimoto's. Borrelia burgdorferi, that's the spirochete that causes Lyme. And there's some evidence that Borrelia is connected to Hashimoto's disease. The data is fairly limited at this point. Um, but there is a paper that, that does talk about a connection there potentially, but there's so many other factors in Lyme disease that could be connected to Hashimoto's because Lyme patients are very complex. There's tremendous oxidative stress, tremendous inflammation, usually gut dysfunction, um, which is kind of one of the cornerstones of autoimmunity. A lot of them have been on a lot of antibiotics, so they're going to have a lot of gut problems, and so they're going to be much more predisposed to getting an autoimmune condition. Yersinia enterocolitica, like I mentioned earlier, this is a bacteria that people get from contaminated food or water, and it's been known to trigger Hashimoto's disease. I did another podcast and wrote an article on this connection, and I linked to that in this article as well. You should always be checked for Yersinia if you have Hashimoto's, and that's done with a stool test and or a blood test as well. H. pylori, Helicobacter pylori, and I did another podcast on that in an article a while back. You can listen to that as well and read the article. Uh, H. pylori, it's a, it's a bacteria, and it's mainly in the stomach, and there are direct connections with H. pylori and Hashimoto's, as well as Graves' disease. So that's another infection connection. And then viruses, there are a number of viruses that are connected to Hashimoto's. The Coxsackie B virus, rubella, which is a measles, enteroviruses, and those are uh, viruses in the intestine. Epstein-Barr virus, probably one of the most classic infection connections. Herpes simplex virus 6. And I've done, uh, I did an article and a podcast on, on Epstein-Barr and also on herpes virus 6 that you can listen to. The mumps virus, parvovirus B19, hepatitis B, and hepatitis C. Interestingly enough, if we look at all the literature combined, hepatitis C actually has the strongest infection connection to Hashimoto's. Studies have actually shown that the hep C virus can actually leave the liver where it usually resides, and it'll set up a shop inside the thyroid gland. It'll use the thyroid as a reservoir, and that it'll trigger autoimmunity. 
uh, once it gets out of the liver and gets into the thyroid. So hep C is another big one. So what about, how do we know for sure if the virus triggers the autoimmunity? At this point, we don't really know for sure if that's the single cause or if it's part of the uh, milieu of potential connections there to developing autoimmunity. Because to get autoimmunity, you have to have a genetic predisposition. You have to have some kind of gut dysfunction. And then the third is some kind of trigger, and that can be the infection. So at this point, the literature doesn't say that it's just the single infection that triggers it. There were other factors involved, and it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back and just set the immune system off uh, so that it started to attack itself. Now, like Epstein-Barr virus and herpes 6, like I mentioned earlier, these can actually activate each other. So let's say they're both in the thyroid they've been known to transactivate each other. So the Epstein-Barr might be deactivated, and then the herpes 6 virus might be active, and it will actually transactivate, which means uh, trigger activation of the Epstein-Barr and vice versa. So they will trigger each other and activate each other. Now, the, the issue is that they can be active inside the gland, but there's no systemic immune response and so we can do blood tests and it might show that they're not active but they may actually be active inside the gland we're just not seeing immune cells against it in the blood so that's another important thing to to understand you really would have to biopsy the gland and test for those specific viruses to see if they're present and they're active and that's just not a feasible option So that's kind of a, uh, an update on, on the main infection connections, and I've covered each one pretty well in detail in other podcasts and, and articles on drhedberg.com. Now, if you have one of these, let's talk about what you can do. That really depends on the infection. So if it's a bacterial trigger like Yersinia and H. pylori, which we usually pick up on stool testing, those are pretty straightforward. Those are fairly easy to get rid of. Uh, I use various herbal supplements and uh, get rid of the, get rid of those pretty quickly, usually in about a month. Lyme disease is, of course, just much more complex. You really need to work with someone who specializes in Lyme. These are known as a Lyme literate doctor who truly understands the condition. And then viruses are going to be the most difficult because viruses require the greatest number of interventions and changes by the patient. A lot of patients, they've read my articles about, say, Epstein-Barr and herpes 6, and uh, they just try and treat themselves. They just start taking some of the herbs or the monolaurin or the compounds that I've mentioned in the articles and the podcasts, and then wonder why it doesn't work. And that actually never works uh, because if all you do is take something to suppress the viral activity, you've done nothing to address the reasons why the immune system cannot control the virus. So you can take these kinds of herbs and supplements, 
suppress the virus somewhat, but it's just going to come back once you stop it because the underlying reasons for a compromised immune system hasn't been fixed. And those are things like addressing psychoneuroimmunology. So psychoneuroimmunology, that's a connection between the brain, the nervous system, and the immune system. And so that includes the autonomic nervous system. And then all of the thoughts and beliefs and any kind of mental issues going on with someone, these have direct effects on the immune system. So this can be things like trauma and chronic stress, uh, personal beliefs, obsessive compulsive, depression, anxiety, insomnia. All of these things have a negative effect directly, uh, negatively affect the immune system. And if they're ongoing, you just won't be able to control these viruses in the long run. So psychoneuroimmunology is something that It's one of the areas that I'm most interested in uh, because I see it so much in practice. Uh, But it's difficult to explain that a lot of these things that are going on with the brain and the autonomic nervous system directly affect the immune system, which is the real issue here with with these infections. And then, of course, the other things that need to be addressed are gut health. And since 70% of the immune system is in the gut, that kind of ties in with the immunology aspect of the psychoneuroimmunology because of the gut-brain axis. So the gut-brain axis is bidirectional. Everything that happens in the gut affects the brain, and everything that happens in the brain affects the gut. They're bidirectional. And you can't leave one unaddressed and expect to fix the other. It just won't happen. People will get a little bit better or they'll get completely better and then they just relapse. That's like one of the issues with SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. It relapses in 60%, or I'm sorry, not 60, two-thirds of of cases will relapse. And uh, the reason why is because the psychoneuroimmunology hasn't been addressed. Hormones are another big one in controlling viruses, thyroid, adrenals, etc. Stress, and that the stress kind of ties in with the psychoneuroimmunology. Inflammation, insulin resistance, all of those things that I just mentioned have to be successfully addressed to really deactivate these viruses and get them under control. So I urge you not to just take pills or herbs or anything uh, for to address these viruses. That's just not going to work. So this infection connection, it's, it's alive and well. It's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, one of the most overlooked aspects of Hashimoto's, along with early adverse life events. But if you're having, if you have some of these infections, uh, make sure they're being addressed directly. If you really want to get the Hashimoto's under control, and you don't have to have every single one of these tested. Your doctor will know exactly which ones to test based on your history. Uh, so, for example, hepatitis C. That's a pretty clear one. If you need to be tested for that or not, and that would show up on your blood work anyway with elevated liver enzymes, and issues with your CBC, for example. 
All right, so go to drhedberg.com. I've got links to all of my specific podcasts and articles about each particular infection if you want to delve deeper into those. But again, I wanted to give you an update here in the beginning of 2018 if there was much new. Isn't There isn't a lot new this year other than just more papers coming out that are supporting the evidence about the infection connections that we already have known about with Hashimoto's. All right, this is Dr. Hedberg. Take care. Talk to you next time. If you enjoy the Dr. Hedberg Show, you can support it by sharing each episode on your social media channels, like Facebook, and by leaving a review on iTunes. Please visit drhedberg.com. That's D-R-H-E-D-B-E-R-G.com to access the show notes and resources for today's episode.